One more hour to go on the Wes and Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Scott Fowler from the Charlotte Observer. Charlotte Observer columnist going to be joining us at 2.20 to talk about his latest podcast with V. Roy Williams. He'll be able to talk about some Carolina Panthers and Charlotte Hornets as well. And then once we're done here at the Charlotte Auto Show, Kyle Bailey will be taking over. It's the Kyle Bailey Show along with Smoke Ludwig. We were talking during the break not only just about more basketball movies because that's what he got game got us on, but I also was thinking about all of the times where actors and or anybody in a basketball movie looked terrible playing the sport they were supposed to portray in that movie. Mm -hmm. It was so bad. And then it makes me go to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Growing up, absolutely loved it. I imagine a lot of people did. But when he has the game against Malibu Prep and the fact that he lost, despite scoring like 50, he doesn't get the scholarship to go play D1 and... The gym features like a nine-foot goal, and it features about 50 feet worth of length of the court where they're shooting threes from the opponent's half-court line. Like, for me, I mean, come on, Fresh Prince, man. Come on, everybody. Why are they playing in a kiddie gym that has a nine-foot goal and the fact that he loses, he doesn't get the scholarship because he throws the game <laughs> for the kid at Malibu. Prince. Yeah, and that reminds me, all the Fresh Prince basketball episodes were among my favorite. Of course, when he first made the team and Carlton got upset. Yeah. But I forgot about when he played against G-Money, a.k.a. Yeah. <laughs> Marcus Payne, That's right. in that game. And he saw that he had a kid, and he threw the game. And then, it's funny you bring that up. I was watching the Jamie Foxx show the other day, and we were cracking up because he played the game where his mouth got him in trouble. Vin, uh, Vin Baker and Gary Payton oh, play man. against Jamie and his uncle. But then Sharif Abdul-Rahim comes in to help Jamie as well. And the goals were so short, Vin Baker and Sharif were barely jumping up to dunk the basketball. And also, we'd be remiss. I had to bring up the air up there for, for my OGs oh, out there. air up when there. we brought that yeah. up, I said, man, I forgot about that one. So, great movie. Yeah, and then Colin brought up the fact that they had to cut his stomach to be initiated into the tribe. Yeah. And then I didn't want to he talk did. about Listen, it Listen, you talk about coaches it. out there going through whatever they need to go through. <laughs> this man put the tribal paint on, the dress. He did everything and he needed to get that recruit. Adam Sandler and Hustle. Needs to make sure he pays homage to Kevin Bacon for going through everything that he <laughs> I hope, did. I hope he won a championship I, with that kid. And then same. I was going to tell you, too, you know, Uncut Gems, you talked about KG supposed to play the role and he got, uh, he got game. I think well, he yeah, I think so. Spike Lee for He Got Game wanted a basketball player to come because of yeah. exactly what we're talking about yeah. because it looks weird when you yeah. have a non-basketball player actually playing yeah. basketball. Well, you know, Adam Sandler, he originally wanted Kobe to do the role in Uncut Gems. Is that right? Yeah, he originally wanted Kobe. Well, and look, man, you know, Kobe would have... KG. Kobe would have been great, but KG. Yeah, he was great. I, I love KG and everything yeah. he's about. Yeah. I, I because that is the most real basketball player ever, yeah. and so I love Kevin Garnett. You can yeah. text in seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. Let's switch it back to the Carolina Panthers yes. here, Wes, as we look at what Carolina <laughs> will have this weekend against Baltimore. We've talked a lot about Lamar Jackson and the problem that he poses for this Carolina Panthers defense, really any defense in the NFL. But Steve Wilkes. If he beats Baltimore, that's one thing where we can talk a little bit more about the meaning besides just getting a victory for Baltimore. If Steve Wilkes gets the job done here, he'll move to 500 as the interim head coach of Carolina, something Matt Rule was not able to do maybe at the start of some seasons. But this year, Matt Rule fired. Wilkes, with a win, would go to 500. We know that there is a search for a new head coach of this team. Steve Wilkes being considered, but as David Tepper said a million times, he has to do an incredible job in order to keep this. I would say beating Tampa Bay 
beating Baltimore in this hypothetical scenario, if that happens, alongside being, beating Atlanta, and then almost beating Atlanta if it wasn't for a bogus penalty, if that all happens, how are we talking about Steve Wilkes next week if they're able to beat Baltimore as the potential starts to rise, in my opinion, of him becoming the head coach. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it does start to rise. I think we do talk about him as a serious candidate. It's just a matter, to me, it comes down to a matter of if the Panthers just want to go the new wave of the NFL and go get a young, offensive-minded head coach that's going to bring a new philosophy here. I think that's going to be Coach coach's only hindrance to him getting the job at this point because if you want a defensive minded coach then I think you have your guy if that's what you're going to go out and look for I think the guy's right here in this building I think that not that you should feel sorry for him but I think that if you're Tepper, you do look at the fact that he did catch a raw deal in Arizona. You look at the way guys respect him in the locker room. And if he's able to get those wins you talk about, you think about the potential of what he can bring. And I think for me, if you do want a defensive head coach, the only question that you're going to ask Wilkes is how much uh, input would you have over the offense as far as vetoing ideas and what offensive coordinators do you have in mind to bring? And I think if he gives you the right answers, then I think he does uh, give you the he does get the job. Yeah, you mentioned a couple things. You know, one as far as bringing up an offensive coordinator, I don't think either one of us thinks that Ben McAdoo is going to be the OC next year, no. right? So if they're going to move on, who is an OC that Steve Wilkes would want to bring? And also, is that something that David Tepper wants to have his hand in? Does David Tepper learn? Or maybe just go the opposite direction of some of the other opinions or the other decisions that he's made and had beforehand, right? Do you go opposite of what Matt Rule was as a coach? That doesn't necessarily just mean going away from the college game, because that's easy enough in my opinion. But does that also mean going to someone that has a little bit more head coach feel in the NFL? Does that mean going after somebody established? Does that mean going after someone who is going to right off of the bat bring in established coaching at OC and DC, which Matt Rule didn't do, right? Like Phil Snow, yes, he was an older coach, but did not spend as much time in the NFL as he did with Matt Rule, at least at the time that he was hired, right? Followed him to Temple, Baylor, and then Carolina, and then you go out and get Joe Brady. I don't know if David Tepper forced Matt Rule's hand to go after Joe Brady, but we do know that Joe Brady was a young OC that was coveted all across the landscape, and David Tepper has more money than everybody, and so we decided to show that when they hired Joe Brady and Matt Rule brought him aboard. Do you stay away from what is, quote-unquote, the youth movement because you tinkered with that a little bit the first time, or does that not matter and you just want to look for the best candidate possible? Well, I think it depends on your scope. When Joe Brady got that job, I did not feel that he was qualified for it. I felt like that he benefited a lot from a what you could argue is the greatest college football team of all time, LSU, despite or whatever you may feel. That team was so loaded with talent, I felt like a lot of guys could have coached that offense to do what they did. So I think it depends on your scope. If there's a guy that you see that's a young, up-and-coming coach that's in the NFL, that's been paying his dues, and not a guy that's riding the coattails of a head coach that does the bulk or half of the work that they should be doing. If you see a guy 
that's got one of the better offenses in the NFL, and he is the architect of that, then I think that's when you go after that guy. But bringing up a guy from college that's not that experienced uh, to call plays that hasn't done it in the NFL, I do not think that is the answer, and that's why I didn't think Joe Brady was the answer in the first place. But I think you pinpoint a guy in the NFL that is, and also I think the cosigns are important as well. You want to get a guy who other coaches around the National Football League say he's next or he's one of those guys. And I think if you find a guy like that, that is who you go and get. Yeah, and Steve Wilkes is doing a lot to be considered here. And it's funny because if you go back to his defensive coordinating days with Carolina, I think the first half of that stint, the defense was awesome, blitzing a lot. It was exciting, you know, as much as a defense can be exciting. But then in the second half, it started to slip a little bit. Now, so did the Carolina Panthers. I mean, you know how badly Carolina has finished second halves of NFL seasons for a while now. That was true at the back end of the Ron Rivera era, and that's been true the entire Matt Rule era. We'll see what happens this year under Steve Wilkes. But that's one of the things that I want more than anything, Wes. I just want a head coach to come in and have this team be a better football club at the end of the year than they were at the beginning. But that hasn't happened. That's what I'm starving for. Yes, I want postseason contention, 100%. And Carolina has had that before. They have two Super Bowl appearances. They have three division title wins in a row. But it's not been for a long time since we've had some success. It's crazy. I think one area you can go to to demonstrate how fast time moves by is the fact that it was 2015, seven years ago, the last time that we got a Carolina regular season that led to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was that long ago yeah. where Carolina flies. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, I just, it does not seem that long ago, yet it is. And every year since, second halves are awful for this team. It doesn't matter. Even the 6-2 and two year after the Super Bowl season, win one game the rest of the way. You had to win two to finish 500. Couldn't happen. They win one game. And now in the Matt Rule era, you start off, what, 3-0. and oh. You start off 3-2 and two the first year for Matt Rule. Can't finish with a 500 record. Can't finish with anything above 500. The second half is so bad. Give me a coach that allows this team to be better at the end of the year than where they were at the front. And I do think that maybe some established coaches can help you do that, or at least established coordinators, right? It doesn't have to be that they that they endured this first experience as a coach. Just give me somebody that knows what the hell they're doing in the NFL and then bring them promote them to head coach of Carolina. Yeah, I think that is a a sound plan as well, but it depends how that's going to look as far as if you have a rookie quarterback, I think you will experience ups and downs. So as far as getting that great second half, I guess you would get that if the rookie is maturing at a fast rate. Or do we run into a scenario because I feel like the route that Wilkes could go, especially being a defensive-minded coach, would be to have a veteran bridge guy, see if you can contend for the playoffs, see if you can be a contender in your division, and then and only then would he play the rookie, which means that second half ain't going to be as pretty as you want it to be. But But the flip side to that is that there's hope. Because if you have the rookie that comes in and he shows you that he can play, but you're still losing games, but you see that he can play and he's going to be that franchise quarterback that you're looking for, then I think you don't necessarily mind if the losses are coming because you know those uh, results are going to change. Yeah, give us your thoughts on the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. Someone wrote in 704 number. I'm definitely in line with you guys. If Wilkes wins some more games, especially this Sunday, he should be the coach. And I don't know if I'm ready to just put it in 
in finality like that. Yeah. But, I mean, just think about the resume to this point. Yes, you have the bad Cincinnati performance. It's, it's, it's one that you could definitely use as an argument against Steve Wilkes becoming that guy. But a win against Tampa with P.J. Walker at starting QB, a win against Baltimore in this situation would be also huge. So I do think that he would deserve a lot more consideration. And I also wonder this, Wes, and we've talked about this a little bit, would Steve Wilkes consider being within the organization and not getting the head coaching job? I do think that Steve might be a little more accepting to that if it all goes downhill this point forward for Carolina to where they lose a lot more games. Then you might have the whole win-loss record thing to go against Steve Wilkes, however fair it might be. You might use that to go to a different direction, and then you can still ask if Steve Wilkes could be a part of the organization. So if that would happen, I wonder how accepting Steve Wilkes would be with that. Yeah, you wonder that, and... uh you know, another aspect to that is just simply what, you know, it just comes down to what the Panthers are looking for, what right. style that they want. I mean, plain and simple. I think Wilkes, as I said, can be your guy. It's going to depend on what his philosophies are, and it also is going to depend on who is out there. I mean, who are some of those candidates that you can look at and say, here's a guy that we want. I mean, you talk about a lot of of, of of different candidates that would be out there because, you know, what if a Eric Bieniemy comes back into the yeah. conversation or uh, different guys that have had proven success in other places and I think, you know, dynamic offenses and things of that nature because, I, as I said, I think that is the only hindrance in his way as a dynamic offensive coordinator. Yeah, the the defensive part of this, like D'Amico Ryans is someone that a lot of people are talking about. Right. If you wanted to go D'Amico... Is he doing a lot more with that defense than Steve Wilkes is? I mean, I think so. Is it enough for you to kick out Steve Wilkes, even if you respect the job he's done, to go bring in somebody else? You know, the other candidates we've talked about quite a bit, Shane Steichen for the Philadelphia Eagles organization, maybe a Byron Leftwich. You know, there's a couple different names out there as well. Okay, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk with Scott Fowler, the columnist for the Charlotte Observer, been doing it for a long time now. He had a podcast on his Carolina Legends podcast. He spoke with Roy Williams about a plethora of topics. I want to get his thoughts on his conversation with Roy coming up next on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's the Wesson Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We're out at the Charlotte Auto Show having a great time here at the Charlotte Convention Center looking at an impressive display of cars. You can text in 704-570-9610. I do want to go to the guest line now and welcome Charlotte Observer sports columnist since 1994, host of the Sports Legends of the Carolinas podcast, also the Carruth podcast. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. It's Scott Fowler of the Charlotte Observer. Scott, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely, Scott. I do have to ask you this first, though, before we start with your podcast with Roy. What's the biggest thing that has changed about being a Charlotte Observer columnist since 1994? (laughs) Well, that was back in the dark ages. Uh, There was no Internet, so that was definitely the change. We had all we wrote for was the print print edition. Uh, I mean, our deadlines were probably close to midnight. We got every late game in the print edition, but we had no you know, online edition at all. So uh, the the 24-hour journalist had yet to be born way back in 1994. And, of course, Twitter did not exist either. Uh, was the comment it may not se- exist again before too long. Well, right. I was going to ask this, too. Was the comment section a little more tame, or was it just as aggressive back then? Oh, you know, <laughs> it was uh, – 
when we first started a lot of that, it was emails, and I guess they were a little tamer because when someone emails you, generally you know who it is or kind of know who it is. The anonymity aspect of it was not quite in full flower back then where you could, you know, create burner accounts and all that sort of stuff. It was a, it was a little more civil, I would say, but, in uh, you know, in this age, it's fun, too, because you can update things and you can write incredibly long things and get the whole thing on the Internet. Back then, we used to slave away of cutting things, you know, like, no, we don't have room for a thousand words. You've got to cut it to four hundred. Good luck at chopping those six hundred out. And that well, was kind of the way it was. Well, now you have podcasts here in 2022, close to yeah. 30 years later, and you had a podcast with the Sports Legends of the Carolinas pod that everyone can check out. You had a conversation with Roy and Scott. I was looking over it, too. It's in print as well on the Charlotte Observer. Lots of topics you addressed with Roy Williams, Michael Jordan, Dean Smith, his vernacular, the funny sayings that Roy Williams has. What topic was the most fun that you had discussing with Roy? Uh, maybe the topic about what was the greatest shot in Tar Heel history. I thought that was, he had a unique perspective on that and he didn't pick what I thought he might choose. Um, for those who haven't read it yet, and this is on charlotteobserver.com and I should mention will be a huge splash in tomorrow's print edition. So whoever wants, likes to, it's on 1A in tomorrow Friday's Charlotte Observer print edition. But, yeah, in terms of best shots in Tar Heel history, the one he picked was Marcus Page in 2016 against Villanova. Not Jordan in 82 to win the national championship, not Luke May. Uh, it was instead Marcus Page. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. I also thought it was kind of interesting just how Roy Williams has been dealing with life after coaching basketball. What was your feel? I know it's, it's here in the article as well. I don't want to give it all away. But just what was your feel on how Roy Williams is dealing with life after coaching for so many years? Well, he misses it. I mean, he doesn't make any bones about that. He misses having a team. He misses the bus rides and, you know, the interactions with the young people that he was so good at. But uh, he had his second hole-in-one in his life not too long ago. That was that's a big deal. He's getting to see his grandkids and, you know, a lot more than he used to. I think he has, he has moved pretty gracefully into retirement. Uh, you know, he is 72 years old. So, I mean, he's at an age where it was going to happen at some point. And, uh, of course, he goes to all the UNC games. So, he's, you know, he's a little bit unlike uh, – I think Coach K is not going to attend in person, right, this year, or at least not much. Uh, Roy has taken the opposite tack, and he says he wants everyone to know he's Hubert Davis's biggest fan, and so he goes to all the home games. Scott, Wes Bryant here, and I wanted to ask you, branching off of that question, what did he feel about what the Tar Heels went through last year, and what are his thoughts about them this season? Oh, he's very bullish on them. Uh, you know, he told me that uh, – he was not. He is a betting man, I should say. He bets on the golf course, bets on the crap table, crap tables, but does not bet on sports. But he said if he was, he would bet. He would bet a. You know, he would bet on the Tar Heels to win it all. He thinks they're they've got the, the pieces, and it's just a matter of uh, of putting it together. So he's yeah, he's very you know thinks that they have a great shot at it, but he also knows that the best teams don't always win. For instance, he mentioned the 1984 UNC team, which longtime fans will know. He thinks it was the most gifted, gifted team he ever, ever was part of, and they did not win the national championship. 
Scott Fowler of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You know, Scott, I can't get you out of here without talking about the Carolina Panthers who have a big game against the Baltimore Ravens, and there's been a lot of conversation surrounding the possible tanking this team could make. And we've been talking a lot, too, about Steve Wilkes doing what I think is a pretty good job at 2-3 and three since he's taken over. What are the chances you think Steve Wilkes actually has a shot to be the next permanent head coach of Carolina, and what do you think of the job he's done so far? I think he's done a pretty good job, Walker. I think you're right. I mean, it hasn't been uh, extraordinary. I mean, they haven't gone four and one or five and zero, oh, but two and three is respectable for sure. And you know, Rule went one and four in the first five games. As for his chances of getting the job, I mean, I think it's legitimate that he'll he'll get an interview. And, uh, but I think they're probably going to really have to make a, a bigger run than, than this. This isn't a run. This is just kind of what they've done so far is sort of tread water. Uh, they would really have to make a big run for him to get the job, I think. I don't think his chances are fantastic, but I do think it's a legitimate chance. And, Scott, we've been talking about this a lot, but what is your mentality as far as what you think the direction of this franchise should be? And if they do go the route where they're high up enough to get a great quarterback, are there any guys that are on your radar that you think would be perfect? Well, I think there's several guys that really could, you know, elevate that position for them. Uh, I've always liked Bryce Young. I know his size isn't ideal, but, man, the guy makes the right play. Uh, but I like, you know, shoot. I mean, Stroud is good. Will Levis of Kentucky is good. I mean, I think the good thing is it's a quarterback-heavy class, right? So you don't have to have the number one. I mean, you probably, if you're in the top five, can get a quarterback who can start pretty quickly and that's of course the problem here and has been ever since cam newton ever since uh, tj watt hit cam newton it's never been the same here because there went their quarterback and it's such a quarterback dependent league so they've got to do that uh honestly i think you know finishing uh four and 13 for this these guys would be a lot better than finishing seven and ten and missing the playoffs simply because of the draft scott last thing before we get you out of here i also wanted to talk to you about the charlotte hornets your colleague rod boone just discussed steve clifford's comments on Lamelo after he went out of that pacers game last night with an ankle injury it's the same one that he suffered that kept him out about a month before he could play basketball steve clifford said that he's not sure how long he's going to be out but that the x-ray did come in negative last night with all that being said it's still a pretty disappointing start after what was a 3-3 three and three start initially, now they have 12 losses towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Is it time to see what you can get for Gordon Hayward, what you can get for Terry Rozier, or is there a way that you do think this roster as constructed is salvageable? Well, not salvageable in terms of making the playoffs. I don't think they're, you know, I, I, unless they get everybody back at the same time, which just doesn't look like it's going to happen. They're a fringe playoff team at best, even with that. So, yeah, no, I would look. I'd Sure, I'd look for Hayward uh, possibilities, Rozier possibilities. I mean, really almost anyone but LaMelo, right? I mean, you've got you to stay with him and build as much as you can around him. That was a what, what terrible luck last night. Though. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just I can't believe that happened, honestly. It's just, <laughs> are you serious? I mean, kudos to LaMelo for chasing a loose ball. Weren't they down about 10 or 12 at that point? It was It was not looking good for Charlotte, and then, and then it looked a lot worse, minute 34. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> it's brutal, Scott. It's really brutal, and I think your laughter at the ridiculousness of the uh, unlucky nature of this team, I think we're all kind of sharing in that. Or the crying. Either one. Laugh or cry. It doesn't matter. It's all coming from some sort of despair. That's Scott Fowler of the Charlotte Observer. Charlotte Observer Sports columnist, also the host of the Sports Legend of the Carolinas podcast and the Caruth podcast. You also need to check that out. Most recent one. Sports Legends of the Carolinas just had a conversation with Roy Williams. It's awesome stuff. You dig into Michael Jordan, Dean Smith, what he thinks is the best shot of all time. So a lot of really cool stuff, Scott. And we appreciate you sharing that with us today here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. That's Scott Fowler. Once again, really appreciate that. The Roy Williams stuff is cool, man. Like, that's honestly, when we talk about some of the narrative type of thing, the content that we can all reach, love the storytelling. And Scott Fowler's been doing this for a long time. But Roy Williams, getting to hear him kind of talk about the Michael Jordan shot. And you can go check this out, too, on charlotteobserver.com. You can read it if you don't have a chance to listen to it. Maybe it's a little bit loud where you are. Maybe you just can't get caught working with the podcast in the background. Not sure. But you should go ahead and check it out. Because it also talks about the adapting of Roy moving on from coaching. And what's different here, Coach K, he had the farewell tour, right? John Shire was able to take over. And I know a lot of people said that that was because it was due to recruiting. Um, Roy Williams just, it's funny. I do believe that Roy felt he was not the right guy for the job anymore. That in this new era of maybe NIL, Maybe the transfer portal being such a big part of the college game. And then even with the disappointing season, the loss in the NCAA tournament, the first round, something that had not happened to Roy Williams before, I think all of that was just too much for him to bear going into another season coaching and decided to say, you know what, I'm hanging out with the grandkids, I'm hitting the golf course, I'm going to watch all the Tar Heel basketball, but I'm going to be doing it from the stands. And it's been pretty interesting to see that journey, along with Hubert Davis, getting to a championship game his first time. Yeah, no doubt. Roy Williams one of my my favorite guys to interview. We know uh, on this station how I feel about North Carolina, but he is one of the guys that makes them Genuine, hard man. to not like. You know what I'm saying? And I just love every time that we talked and interactions that we have had. And so, uh, but when you talk about just his life after retirement, I do believe that he is a very self-aware guy. And I just think that he felt that it was time. And like I said, with all the things going on today, and you read these stories about the coaches and just how many more hours they have to put in and how much harder their job has become because of the transfer portal recruiting new recruits and your own players just to stay in the program it's a lot and I think Roy was just like man this isn't for me anymore let me uh, keep it pushing as they say yeah so that that's Scott Fowler talking about Roy Williams but also talking about the Charlotte Hornets and I asked him the question that Rod Boone his colleague reported earlier on Twitter as well and he said that the Lamelo ball injury did come back negative so that's good to see that come from the x-ray but Steve Clifford still doesn't know when he's going to come back. And I'm worried about LaMelo just like everybody else is because it took a long time the first time he got injured against Washington this preseason. And, Wes, I always thought the problem with Charlotte was that they weren't very clear on when he could come back initially, and they, they tapped it as a grade two ankle sprain. You know, that's what they told us right out of the gate as soon as they found out that information, and yet they didn't give us a four- to six-week timeline, even if – Dr. Mail, as you called me earlier, you just do a little bit of research, and maybe it's different. I'm not trying to say that Google knows the specificity of the lamello ball injury, but grade two ankle sprains, it's going to be about a month before you come back, and lo and behold, it was about a month before lamello ball came back. I do wonder about the pressure from fans, from media members, just wanting some information. I wonder if any of that 
had any bearing on LaMelo coming back when he did. Hopefully it didn't. But I do wonder now, even still, if LaMelo came back a little too soon because the games he played, the two before he got injured in his third last night, you could see him messing with his ankle. And then what happens is he steps on the foot of a fan too close to the court where he was sitting courtside. I'm not going to blame him. But then the injury gets worse, and now we don't know how much more time he's going to miss. It, I, I don't know how much it could have been avoided. All I know is that we were asking these questions that eventually got a terrible, terrible answer that took place last night. Well, I think there's a strong possibility that he did feel the pressure. The more the losses piled up, the more pressure he felt to be out there. Yeah. I'm sure everywhere that he went, everyone that he encountered were asking him when he was coming back. And it's the thing as an athlete, too, man, as a competitor, you know that you can help your team. You see these guys losing, struggling without you, practicing without you. You feel like that you can help. You feel like that you're not carrying the load or doing your fair part uh, as a teammate, even if that is far from the truth. So I'm sure that that played a lot into uh, LaMelo's thinking and him trying to come back, you know. Even we see guys all the time every week that are not 100%, that have different injuries, and that go out there and go. And I think LaMelo got to a point where he said, listen, you know, I'm just going to give this thing a go. And then it ends up getting re-aggravated, which is the worst-case scenario. But, yeah, of course, I think that the pressure definitely got to LaMelo. I don't think he came back too early, but I think he may have come back a little bit earlier uh, than they wanted to. As we saw last night, you know, when he turned over on that ankle. Yeah. Man, woo. Well, that, that's the problem. I don't know how long – and nobody knows, apparently. Steve Clifford told us that they don't know how long he's going to sit out. But this is the same story that we got so frustrated with the first time, is that we don't really know. Steve Clifford can only go by what the trainers tell him, and I understand that, but the lack of information is still going to be very frustrating. Another part about this that you kind of throw your hands up in the, in, in the air and say, great, you know, here's another thing, is that LaMelo was playing really well last night. This was the time where LaMelo came back, and he always kills the Pacers, by the way. I mean, he has fantastic numbers against Indiana. Last night was no different, despite it being his third game back from injury. Five of eight from three-point land. 10 of 17 overall from the field, finished with 26 points, 6 assists, a couple steals, and looked a lot more comfortable out there. There was a shot for them to win. Now, defensively, they allowed 30 points in every quarter but the first, and they allowed 27 in the opening quarter. So defensively, you can still see them struggling quite a bit, but they scored 113, and then LaMelo left with a minute and 34. So this was the time that we saw LaMelo. It looked like he was about to pick it up, and then he goes down with that injury. I think that's why you're kind of frustrated with the way that the season is going to play out because Gordon is still out. We don't know when he's coming back. Cody Martin, the timetable for him is another month or maybe even month and a half. That is one of your best defensive players. Now even P.J., who had a good game last night against Indiana, it was about time because there were about four games in a row that he didn't show up in the scoring capacity. It's bleak, man. And I don't want it to be, but it's it's pretty bleak right now for the Hornets. Yeah, man, it's looking really bad uh, for them, as I said. And just, you know, the sheer fortune of it all, just for you to get your guy back. He's having a great night. And the thing I liked about it, it was one of those circle the calendar matchups. I, I used to say last yeah. season when LaMelo would play against guys in his peer group, this was a chance for you to show who the big dog is. This is the guy that's going to be competing against you for an all-star spot and to be in those conversations of best young point guard in the NBA. So last night you saw him. He knew Tyrese Halliburton was in the building. He oh, knew he what was time awesome, was. by the way. Yeah, Woo. He knew what time it was, though, and he 
he knew that he wanted to show and prove. It, it stinks really bad for him to get into that predicament as well. And if you're the Hornets, you feel like you can't win from losing. I mean, just think about the timeline. You talk about Queen City Magic and the theory that I love to talk about. The Hornets offseason and then the the bad breaks literally and figuratively that have come from the off season and bled into the regular season i mean all the stuff with miles and then the book night stuff and then now when you get on the court lamello's injury and hayward's injury and it's just been non-stop bad news for the hornets so maybe that will be a precursor to us getting wimby two things before we move on to the last segment <laughs> he missed the first 13 games of the season mm-hmm that's only going to add when he misses Cleveland, which Steve Clifford already told us, so he's not going to play Friday night. That's going to be 14 total games. Let's say he misses about five. That's close to 20, right at 18. Contractually, the ability to possibly make an all-NBA squad, however limited that possibility was, I mean, you see that all the time. A young star breaks out. It happens. Contractually now, that's not going to happen and, and put a lot more money in his pocket to the point where it's even harder for LaMelo to leave Charlotte. And even an all-star game right now. I mean, think about that. You're going to be missing, I mean, let's just call it 20 for easy math. If you miss 20 games in the first half of the season, yes. if you can't make the all-star game, especially with the amount of talent in the Eastern Conference. And that's really unfortunate. Like that, You hate to see that from your franchise player like LaMelo after he goes down with another injury to the same ankle last night against the Pacers. Let's send it back to the studio. Fiddy has one final flash for us. What you got for us on deck, Fiddy? Go to the NFL, guys, where the Philadelphia Eagles, they have made a move as they try to bolster their position to win what's a tough NFC East and make another run at the Super Bowl. They have signed defensive tackle Nadamakan Sue to a wow. one-year deal. What wow. do you guys think of this move made by the NFC East leaders, the Philadelphia Eagles? I always thought Ndamukong Sue was the number one athlete in the world that I did not want to get in a fight with. And I don't care how old he is, that guy is going to be a problem in the middle. I know he's not the old Rams super, well, you know, helping out the Rams with his defensive tackle abilities there, or even Tampa Bay, right? I know he's not that defensive tackle anymore, but Sue is still a big pickup for Philadelphia. Well, I think the biggest thing he brings is depth. Uh, you know, and just an attitude of mentality to the locker room. I'm sure he's searching uh, for another ring. He has a ring, right? Because yeah, I think, I think Tampa. Tampa, yeah. yes, yes. He's yes. able to win one So he's Tampa. searching for another ring. Uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The San Francisco 49ers will come in there and take that heart <laughs> okay. uh, right out of <laughs> there it So is. it doesn't matter who they sign. Last okay? thing is, they depend so much on Jordan Davis, the rookie, <laughs> to stop the run. And yeah. so, and Sue trying to get some depth to help stop the run. I think that's going to be a key part as to the reasoning why they signed Indomitian Sue. Yes. An NFL veteran now a part of the Philadelphia Eagles. One more segment to go before we head it off to Kyle Bailey and the Kyle Bailey Show at Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson Walker Show, one final segment, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I did want to hear Wes's take on Ndamukong Sue, not because of the football player he is, not because of how much he's going to help Philadelphia. I feel like I didn't get enough love in the fight thing where it's like the number one guy I think I'd be most scared of to get in a fight with because 
That person is like, I mean, I think he does jujitsu or something. He's like 300 pounds. He's also one of the angriest, nastiest dudes in the NFL. I just feel like he would destroy a lot of people. And you can't be that big and that mean, man. Right, and especially having that type of specialization with the jujitsu. I don't know if I I could be making that up. I just might be trying to add to the lore, but I'll look it up. Well, I would say, though, the guy that I've pinpointed is a former Demon Deacon that has been in the NBA, it seems like, 45 years That's as a right, role yep. player, James Johnson. Now, we're talking about a guy that's 6'8", 230, 240, and a legit black belt and a very good, uh, I can't remember, MMA, but jiu-jitsu and all Something that good like stuff. That. One of the things he that hurts He is you. highly rated in several skills of fighting. That I don't want to deal with. The guy that can read what I'm doing and knows the science, the sweet science, as they <laughs> like to call it, when they know the sweet science of fighting and they're absolutely physically imposing that, I want no parts of. I think there was a legend about James Johnson with Miami to where he could, if you put a basketball and wedged it between the backboard and the rim, he could kick it. He could kick that high and get the basketball out wedged from what was already there and that's insane yeah if you're that tall he's like six nine yeah something like that yes for james johnson to be able to do that that's that's too yeah, big that's, that's who i would not want Have to you, smoke with. do you remember nene hilario yes yeah so he was someone that also experienced the mixed martial arts thing and i remember one time i it might have been serge Ibaka, i'm not sure but there was one guy he almost got in a fight with and then he put him in a headlock he got that angry to the point where he was about to put him in a headlock before everybody else broke him up I'm like oh goodness we might have just saw a life saved from everybody jumping in and saying, no, nay, nay, stop it. Don't put him out like that because that would have been real bad. I think the all-timer, though, might have to be Shaq. Just the sheer size of the man, especially if you want to talk MVP Lakers, Shaq with the big traps and all that. That, I mean, even if Shaq couldn't fight, just alone tussling oh, with no, him. Oh, no, he could, though. Well, you know the story about him in Phoenix, I believe. There's a story where Goran Giracek. Oh, and he does the martial arts and stuff, too. Shaq does? I didn't know that. Yeah, he, I, does. he does. it Now, you... You don't need to be doing that at 17 right, he does that. There's yeah. no reason to do that. But with Shaq, <laughs> I think he choked out Goran Giracek. So people, he was joking <laughs> around. He kept messing with Shaq or something. And then everybody was like, nah, man, stop playing with Shaq. Shaq told you, look, you keep doing it, I'm going to choke you out. You keep doing that, I'm going to choke you out. I ended up doing it. It was before a game, apparently. It might have even been at halftime. I could be adding to it, but I know that that happened. I you remember that when too. he swung on... Uh, well, remember he slapped Greg Ostertag. You remember that? Yes. Well, and, and Dudley. That was a good bar to Chris Roots, Dudley, too. Uh, Roots track as well. Uh, Dice Raw uh, said that one. But also, then remember when he said, didn't he swing? He swung on Barkley, right? And they he got said he fight. missed intentionally. <laughs> he just sent that as a warning shot to say, listen, because if he connected with that punch. Sha- Shaq has admitted to lying a lot. But I also believe him in some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Because he admits, he's like, look, i got to spice up the story. It's why I'm entertaining. And I believe that Shaq does that. At the same time, there's some of that stuff I believe when he says it. Yeah, man. Shaq got into a lot of tussles in his time. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he got into a Rick Smith's pretty good one time where he almost gave Rick Smith hey, the win. Hey, speaking of I saw T-Bone tweet out a Rick Smith's picture last night because they were playing the Pacers. Rick Smith was what, nice. What's cool about that's what that's what I'm saying. Shaq always gives the proper credit because he says, I don't know, what it was about big country Bryant Reeves, but Bryant Reeves used to give me the business, and Rick Smiths did too. It's hilarious. Both of those guys would actually give Shaq a problem because they were seven four in skill. Well, you, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You look at the guys that he's talking about, and these were guys that could shoot the basketball, that could take him out to 16, 18, 20 Yao Ming. Feet. 
and bury a jump shot because Shaq wanted no parts of going Zero. out on the perimeter. So when he had a guy that could pick and pop or a guy that he really had to come out from the paint against, he didn't want that. Yeah, uh, somebody wrote in about Brad Miller, and that was somebody that was also a part of that too. So Brad Miller, yeah, former Payson, also Hornets draft pick or undrafted free agent. Yes. That was a part of this team. And then DJ Skinner wrote in, it's Shaq Fu. Shaq Fu. Ooh, was, was, I rented yeah, that yeah. video game. There you go. Did you really? Like, what's the video? I sure <laughs> did. When that came out, I was all over it. What was the game? And I beat it. We, we need to move on. I need to get make, I need to make sure yeah, that I beat the has game. his I moment. I beat Shaq Fu. All right. <laughs> That's, that, that should be in your Twitter bio, that yeah. you beat Shaq Fu. What's yeah. on tap? What's on tap is brought to you by Twin Peaks. You can join our e-club to stay up to date at all things Twin Peaks and score free stuff. Visit TwinPeaksRestaurant.com slash Peaks-Club. Thursday night football tonight, Titans, Packers, 8-15, of mm-hmm. course, on Amazon Prime. Who do you think gets, uh, gets this victory? Is it the Packers winning two in a row after beating Dallas? Or do you think the Titans can get this one, Wes? Well, I saw, I didn't see the specific guys, but I do know that they said several Titans will be out uh, for this game. But I'm still going to ride with my man, King Henry, my favorite NFL player. I'm going to rock and roll with him to come into the frozen tundra. Uh, somebody wrote in. That rock. There you go. Shaq and Brad Miller. Shaq missed a headshot for Shaq and Brad Miller. So I okay. guess they got in a fight, and I just forgot about that. Somebody corrected on the text hmm. line. All right, after the prediction, somebody just came up to us and said, who's the prediction man here for WFNZ? I'll just let you be that. Man. <laughs> you, you just can, pass it off to yeah, me, huh? That's fine. We can get to you and your prediction on Thursday Night Football. we got to go to this day in sports history with Fiddy. What happened on this day in sports history? Cue to Europe. All right, guys, we go back to 1940. You mentioned the Green Bay Packers. They're all on Amazon Prime tonight. Well, on this day in 1940, the Packers became the first NFL team to ever travel by plane. West. Was there any black people yeah, on that yeah, plane? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess no. 1940. All right, Fiddy, what happened next in 1990? Uh, also on this day in 1990, David Klingler of Houston threw an NCAA record 11 touchdown passes wow. as the Cougars would trounce Eastern Washington 84-21. And lastly, on this day in 1998, Tom Glavin of the Atlanta Braves won the, won the NL Cy Young Award. It would be the sixth time in eight seasons that a Braves pitcher would win a Cy Young Award. Fiddy, I do want to toss it back to you for this question. How much do you love Tom Glavin with him actually having appeared for the Mets? Do you care about him at all, or is he going to be somebody that has to belong to the Braves and you just don't give him love like that? Yeah, I mean, like, look, we we acknowledge that he pitched for the Mets, but he's an Atlanta Brave through and through. He was a big part of what the, those teams did in the 90s, which was they won a lot of division titles to only fail in October. Therefore, There's I hate the him. Hate. There's the Fitty hate. We needed to get something like that on today's show, and Fitty delivered uh, excellently so. Speaking of that pitching staff, man, I felt like there was always stories about Glavin and Maddox that would both make the pitch, the, the strike zone bigger. Both of them were very good at that. All right. Final take from you, Wes. What's something that we talked about that you want to serve as the send-off before we go to Kyle Bailey? What's a final take for you as we talk here at the Charlotte Auto Show? Well, I'm just going to give a send-off and a shout-out to uh, Kwame from Captain Planet, voiced by one LeVar Burton. 
Okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, my final take is that I desperately want to at least go into the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, and if they want to let me drive it, I would not hate that either. Fiddy, do you have a final take all the way back at the studio as we've been out here at the Charlotte Auto Show? I do. You guys should check out the Wesson Walker podcast. It's now available on WFNZ.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. My you, man. That's a, that's a good promotion guy right there. Thanks to Josh Fiddy Marlowe back in the studio helping us out today. Also, big thanks to Colin helping set up a lot of the equipment. Everybody here at part of Radio 1 helping set up the equipment. It's been a lot of fun. Come out. Hang out at the Charlotte Auto Show. It's at the Charlotte Convention Center. It's all the way going through the uh, through 9 o'clock today and tomorrow. You can catch it Saturday, 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's also Hero Day. You get free entry with ID today to those who have gone above and beyond to honor and serve. That includes the medical community, teachers, first responders, active military, and veterans. We're going to pass it off now to Kyle Bailey, again here live from the Charlotte Auto Show. You're listening on Sports Radio. 92.7 WFNZ.